From OTMP, this is your COVID-19 update. It is Thursday, the 25th of February, 2021. In Hong Kong, the fourth wave of COVID-19 infections continues to settle and the government has commenced the rollout of the vaccination programme. The situation in Hong Kong is very different to that in Europe and the US in that we have very low levels of infection but also extremely low levels of population immunity. In this podcast, Dr David Owens again sits down with Professor Ben Cowling to discuss this dilemma and specifically the role of COVID-19 vaccinations in the normalisation of life in Hong Kong. So Ben, it's a month since we last had a chat about the COVID situation in Hong Kong. Where do you, where do you think we are now? Uh, we're looking good. So the numbers have been coming down for, for now two months. We haven't quite got to zero. The government started to relax some of the measures, but not all of them. Hopefully we'll have a soft landing down to zero. We won't see a rebound. And so sometime by the end of this month or early March, we'll be at zero cases. And then the critical thing at that point will be to stay at zero. And I think when we look back at the past year, it wasn't that easy to stay at zero. Now it may be a little bit, we may be able to stay at zero for a little bit longer because of the stricter quarantine that we have in place now and some of the loopholes are are being closed up or have been closed. So there's a a chance now that we could stay at zero for longer. We, we, We can look at New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, and of course mainland China are places that have been successful in staying at zero for longer. And then life can really get a little bit back to normal inside the inside the community. I guess we really have these two two factors at play, don't we? We have our non-pharmacological interventions or what we refer to as the social distancing, masks and mm. restricted movements, etc. And the big change now is today the government um, immunisation programme has been uh, released and, and people are beginning to get booking. So vaccines are sort of on the way. The cavalry is about to arrive. Um, how do you feel about, about that? Yeah, it's great news. So in the long term, vaccines are going to be our solution in Hong Kong to getting back to normal life. Uh, we know the damage posed by COVID, so the danger posed by COVID, uh, if it was able to freely spread in Hong Kong. We, we've seen so far in the past year, 10,000 cases, 200 deaths. It could have been a lot worse. That's with a tiny fraction of the population having been infected so far, probably less than 1%. So if more infections had occurred, there'd be a lot more health impact. In the coming year and in the, in the, in the medium term and even in the long term, vaccinations are going to allow us to safely go back to normal. We can replace all the social distancing measures with the protection that we get from vaccination instead. When we look at vaccinations, we've really got two distinct ways that vaccines work. And we touched on this last time, the, the direct impact which really helps to address the question, if I have a vaccine, how does that impact, how does that reduce my chances of dying or getting severely ill of this disease? And then the secondary impact, which is the indirect or the herd immunity impact, and that's really addressing the question is, if lots of people in the community get vaccinated, how likely is it that somebody who's not been vaccinated will become ill? Um, So if we look at the direct effect, the all of these vaccines look really good, don't they? They pretty much all stop people dying. Uh, and, and some of the data coming out of Israel, and, and there was data published today from the UK, which shows significant reductions in hospitalisation and intensive care admission in, in mortality related to vaccination. They're, they're all very good. 
if you have a vaccine. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, that, that's very fair. So we've seen some variation in how good the different vaccines are at protecting people from getting infected. But regardless of that, all the vaccines seem to be very good at minimising the effect of any infection that does occur. And if I could pick up one, one thing from, from what you said about the herd immunity. So having a lot of people in the community being vaccinated does protect the people that are not vaccinated, including people that can't be vaccinated, like, like pregnant women and, and maybe some very old people whose immune system is, is really weak and children who can't be vaccinated right now. But, but having a lot of vaccinated people in the community also protects some of the vaccinated people in whom the vaccine maybe hasn't worked as well. We know the vaccine has, it protects some people better than others for reasons we don't quite understand. The effectiveness is, is uh, stronger in, in some people than others. So if, if there's a lot of people vaccinated, even the people who were, were, were vaccinated and could have got infected, if there's a lot of vaccinated people around them shielding them, then they won't. So it's really protecting the whole community. It's not just indirectly protecting the unvaccinated. Having a high vaccination coverage is really protecting everybody and ensuring that we don't have any any further need to worry about COVID. Yeah, I think that's a good clarification and, and also reducing the total viral load and thereby reducing the chances of mutations and vaccine yeah. escape as we talked about last time. Yeah, so, sure. so herd immunity is good for everybody, but herd immunity is it's a bit more complicated isn't it i mean you really you, you gave that formula last time which is which is very helpful yeah maybe. so so the effective vaccine coverage is a times b it's the vaccine coverage which you know 70 percent of people get vaccinated or 80 percent get vaccinated whatever and then you multiply that by the vaccine effectiveness so if it's a 95 percent effective vaccine then a 70 percent coverage then you ultimately end up with 60-something, 65, 66, 67% effective coverage. And a level like that is probably just about good enough for herd immunity. I mean, it's it's around that area that, that we'd be looking at. Um, but obviously, if one of those values in the formula is, is lower, if either the vaccine coverage is lower or the vaccine effectiveness is lower, it's hard to get a high level of immunity in the population. And then it's, it's more, more risky maybe for the for, for us to consider relaxing all the social distancing measures if we don't have a high level of immunity because then we could be at risk of uh, an epidemic. And then even if the people who've been vaccinated, whatever proportion that is, even if they're not at such a high risk of, of getting severe COVID, there's other people in the community that would be the pregnant women, the very old, the, the people with weak immune systems, and maybe some children. So, so achieving that high level of A and B is really critical and I, I, I really hope we'll see high uptake particularly of the BioNTech vaccine with, with a very high effectiveness. Yeah I think it's an interesting concept that isn't it because it's almost if I was to put my two different hats on I, I, I'm in a high-risk group I'm over 60 I'm a, a frontline healthcare worker primary healthcare doctors have the highest risk in um, in this disease and um, so for me, I'll, I'll take any vaccine because it's going to be very effective at reducing uh, mortality and hospitalisation. On the other hand, if you were to, if you were to now ask me to take the role of the health minister, who, who's really focusing on, on a, um, a population perspective, we, we really want to be trying to get, as you say, both the high coverage and highly high effectiveness. It's sort of two different situations, aren't they? You're looking at two things when you're looking at individual protection versus population protection. Yeah, and that we've also heard the debates about which vaccines might be better, like milder in terms of after you get the vaccine, 
uh, how would you feel? Would you have a sore arm or would you have a fever and, and other considerations as well? I, I really hope that we'll see a high uptake, particularly of the, the BioNTech vaccine. And I'll be a little bit concerned if we, we don't see so much use of that vaccine, because I think then we're going to have a little bit more of a challenge to get up to a level of immunity where the government will be able to say, let's open up and, and we can relax a lot of these measures. Uh, maybe if they were to relax the measures, we'd see at some point COVID coming back and, and spreading again. And I, I really hope that that doesn't happen because once vaccines are available and once we have a lot of vaccines, which we will later this year, we really have the, the tools to stop COVID from spreading. So we have a combination. If we look at the inhibitory factors, so to speak, there's the effectiveness of the vaccine and then there's the, the hesitancy within, within the population. We we discussed this recently, it was a Hong Kong study which showed, Hong Kong University study, excuse me, mm. showed relatively low um, vaccine acceptance, didn't it? We did a study within our own patient group which showed very high, uh, 90% in, in, in patients of OTMP, which mm. was quite interesting in its, in, 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 in its own way. I suspect that the vaccine acceptance will increase over time in Hong Kong, to be honest, but um, the common concerns relate, as always, to worries about safety. Um, there's, 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 there's conversations that you know the vaccine has been has been rushed. Um, I mean, we're both we're both we're both scientists. I mean, it's, it's rational to accept that there has been um, an accelerated time to delivery. But another way of looking at that is you've had pretty much all the top virologists, epidemiologists, and top brains on the planet have been working on this thing, haven't they? And it's, uh, it's, it's gone quickly, but we've got to, a lot of data on effectiveness and safety now. And also in Hong Kong, we're not going first. So Israel's done 40 million jabs. The US has done tens of millions. UK's done tens of millions. So we're not the first in the world to be using any of these vaccines. They've been used elsewhere. And we can see from the data from those locations how safe and how effective the vaccines are. Uh, one caveat I, I would say about risk and benefit in Hong Kong, and um, it's kind of a maybe a slightly delicate issue to mention, is that in Hong Kong we haven't had a lot of risk of COVID. You and I haven't faced a risk of getting COVID in the past 12 months. Probably less than 1% of the people in Hong Kong have had it. And in the coming year, we could envisage maybe similar. Maybe an, another 1% of the population might get infected if we do a really good job with all the control measures. So although we can protect ourselves against COVID, if we're expecting that the government can keep all those other measures in place, then in some sense, we, we, we don't need the vaccine to protect us because we've got the social distancing measures. But the way I would say is to reframe that, you're thinking about it the wrong way, because if we can get vaccinated, we don't need the social distancing measures. And actually we're tired of the measures so the fact that we haven't had this risk in the past year is because of all those disruptive measures. If we want to go back to normal, then the, the way to do it is, is for, for a lot of people to get vaccinated. Probably the vast majority of the population to get vaccinated, I would say. And so it, it, it's kind of, it's difficult because right now today, our risk is still very, very low. So we ask people to, to vaccinate because the risk, so the, the benefit outweighs the risk. But the benefit of being protected against COVID when we haven't had a, a large epidemic here is, is, is more difficult to perceive. And when you think about other countries in Europe, US, 
there's been a, a much more perceivable risk that there's been a lot of infections everywhere. And I think there'll be a, a lot more enthusiasm among people to get vaccinated when they've seen the risk at first hand. Whereas in Hong Kong, I can kind of understand the hesitancy because we haven't seen that risk yet. And we don't want to. We're actually, we've done a really good job with the social distancing measures. But we have to realise that those measures can't stay in place forever. Yes, I think if we look at, I don't know how you feel about Europe and the, and the US, my read of the data is that they're pretty much done. I think they're pretty close to herd immunity. It's hard to be certain how much of the uh, re- reductions in the moment in, 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 in the UK, as an example, are related to lockdowns. But I would be surprised if by May, June, this thing hasn't hasn't burned through to the extent that the hospital systems are no, will no longer be over overcrowded and overloaded. And yes, there may be a continuation of some um, hospitalizations and some deaths in the UK and in the US and Europe from the disease. But to all intents and purposes, life will be back to normal, I, I sense. I, I think so. So I think in Europe and the US, what, what we've most likely seen is already a lot of infections occurring, but but maybe the order 20-30%. We're now seeing a lot of vaccination coverage, particularly in the oldest, and then going down in age to the older adults, the middle-aged adults, and so on. By the summer, I think there'll be enough coverage in the older, maybe half of the population, and then enough natural immunity from natural infections as well in, in, in the population as a whole. So even if they haven't reached herd immunity, any further epidemics that occur won't have much health impact. They won't overflow the hospitals. You know, maybe there'll be COVID going around and, and the, the younger adults who haven't yet been vaccinated, some of them may get it. But we're not going to see the enormous health impact that we've seen. And we wouldn't then see the need or that those countries wouldn't see the need to keep the social distancing measures in place. It would be more like a, a, a flu-like health impact where it doesn't shut down cities and countries rather than what we've seen in the past year when when really extreme measures have been needed. So I think you're right, in Europe and the US, by the summer, things are going to get back to normal because a combination of immunity from infections and protection immunity from vaccinations means they don't really need to worry and they can't justify having the measures in place anymore. But that may not be the case in Hong Kong because we're behind. For sure. And and, if we look at Hong Kong and we look at New Zealand, Australia and China, really... I was asked this specific question, can you explain why, on the one hand, in your newsletters, you're saying we have a very low incidence and we're relatively safe. On the other hand, you're advocating vaccination. And and the answer to that is that there's only really three ways that, that we can stay protected. One is that the virus dies and goes away. The other is that we develop immunity, either natural immunity by the infection burning through, or, or, or we vaccinate and achieve herd immunity by immunization. And, um, I don't think there's another way that we can do it other than staying locked down forever. Well, that, that's the third way, is that you could go for long-term elimination and you could imagine a desert island where you, you stay on the island and you're never, you're never going to worry about getting COVID, but you're on a desert island. And so I, I think in the short term, I can understand places that have gone for this strategy. Mainland China, of course, Hong Kong, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand because it may be the, the, most, the most suitable strategy at, at that time. But I, I'm not sure how long this strategy is sustainable 
it is one of the possibilities for Hong Kong to go down that route to say, okay, we're going to get to zero, we're going to stay at zero, and we're going to keep the quarantine on the border so that people coming in won't have a chance to bring infection with them into the community. And vaccines, the more the better, because that'll make our job easier to stay at zero. But I, I don't know, in, in two years' time, is that going to be our strategy in three years' time? I, I was hoping that, that we're going to talk about going back to normal, but that's going to require a, a high level of vaccine coverage or otherwise, as you mentioned, have, having a lot of infections, which I, as a public health specialist, I, I can't conceive of a strategy where there's a lot of people infected, a lot of people going to hospital and, and a lot more health impact than we've seen so far. In our hesitancy survey, um, Ben, I asked, would you have a vaccination? 90% of the patients said that they would have a vaccine. Of the 10% who said they wouldn't, I then asked further questions. Would you consider having the vaccination if you were paid financially? And, and only 4% said yes to that. But in answer to, to would you receive the vaccination if you got a certificate to allow you to travel, it increased almost two thirds. And so I think certainly within our population, one of the primary drivers for interest in vaccination is, 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 is the ability to open up and normalize, which to many people sees Hong Kong as a vibrant international city with 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 people moving in and out and goods moving in and out and pilots and and so it's hard to imagine life here in a continual suppressive state but i guess that's one of really three potential scenarios how how how, how would you see the potential yeah, so scenarios I, it, going forward that is one of the potential scenarios i i I'm not very enthusiastic about that scenario, but it is one of the possibilities, especially if the vaccine coverage doesn't get to a high level, then then that may be the most attractive of the possibilities. Another strategy we could consider is what Europe has been doing for the past year, which is having uh, all the social distancing measures come in when, when the case numbers get to a high level and they, they bring it down. So it's called suppress and lift. So you suppress transmission when you need to. And when things are quieter, you can lift it again. And you have these waves up and down, up and down, up and down. You never need to get to zero. You don't need travel restrictions because you know you're going to have waves coming and going anyway. Uh, and uh, over time, you build up the natural immunity through the infections and hopefully build up the vaccine coverage. So that's an, another way to go. And if we did have more infections, I think vaccine coverage would then track that as well. There'd be a lot of enthusiasm for getting vaccines if if the risk is perceived to be higher. But but I don't know if that's really sustainable because of the impact of repeated cycles of social distancing measures. And then the third way that maybe the preferred way that, that everybody's hoping for is that if we can get herd immunity through vaccination with at least two thirds or three quarters of the population receiving vaccine by the end of this year, then it would be safe for us to open up. Even if COVID comes into the city from outside, it won't be able to spread because most people will be immune and there's not many people left that could be infected. So maybe there'll be small outbreaks from time to time, but, but no major epidemics, no major health challenge of COVID. And so we'll, we'll just go back to normal. Um, but, but if we were able to do that by the end of this year, one of the, 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 the issues might be the border to the north where mainland China is going to take longer. I don't think mainland China will be fully vaccinated by the end of this year. So they may still be in the elimination mode when we want to be opening up and then we'll be having to do quarantine with, with them still. And, and that's probably one of our closest trading partners. And I think a couple of years ago, there were 300,000 people crossing the border every day 
So, so it's tough when there's a quarantine in place with, with your next door neighbor. Um, I'm not sure how quickly main, the mainland is going to be able to, to get to a high level of, of vaccine coverage. But it's obviously, it's a lot of people, 1.4 billion people. Yes, again, this is a, a complex issue of herd immunity, isn't it? The levels that we can reach, uh, the, the prevalence of, of natural infection in the population, the prevalence of vaccinated individuals in the population. And I guess the other factor is, is factors in the virus. And it's, 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 it's too early to, to know what's going to happen there, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, there were a couple of worrying reports about these variants. The South Africa variant, where, where one of the vaccines doesn't work so well, maybe against the variant. Uh, my reading of, of that data is that we've already seen vaccines are very good at stopping severe disease. They're, they're quite good. Most vaccines are quite good at stopping infection. And the Pfizer, the, the BioNTech vaccine, is very good at stopping infection. And the Moderna vaccine as well. The other vaccines maybe more moderate effectiveness against infection. But all the vaccines are, are preventing severe COVID pretty effectively. And my suspicion is with the variants, maybe again, all the vaccines would, would lose a bit of their effectiveness against infection, but I think they'd still do a pretty good job against severe COVID. So, so maybe there would be a, an opportunity for a variant to spread, but not to cause a, a large health impact. And of course, if it's spreading, but only causing mild symptoms, it's actually nothing too much to worry about. Uh, not to say there's nothing to worry about, but we have flu coming every year. We have other infections from time to time. And uh, I think we have to accept some level of circulation of, of COVID for years to come. Um, and having a higher level of immunity in the population, particularly through vaccination, is, is the best way to, to deal with that. And of course, with variants circulating around the world, vaccines can also be updated to deal with that. So in a year's time, two years time, we may have an updated jab. You can go and get your booster jab for the South African variant or, or whatever, if you'd like to. And that's going to help with herd immunity as well. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, again, if I could leave on a, you know, I always like to leave on an optimistic note. I, I share your optimism for the modification of the RNA vaccines to, 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 to manage the new variants. Because the real challenge of these RNA vaccines is, is the sort of logistics of development and manufacturing mm. and, and storage. And even some of the um, recent studies suggesting that they, they last a lot longer than we previously thought at lower yeah. temperatures. Yeah. So delivery uh, it, it, and cold chain storage is going to be... So I think lots to be optimistic about the potential for for vaccines to be modified in dealing with the, the variants. And the other, finally, is um, this is I know I know as scientists we have to look at the evidence that we have unfolding before us, but in the long term, the natural history of these viruses is they do tend to attenuate, don't they? They do tend over time to become less severe, and 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 with recurrent infections, you know, one model that, that I've looked at that I think is possibly one of the most likely is that you know of a maybe four years, five years, ten years, maybe fifteen years that this coronavirus becomes, you know, the fifth of our common cold coronaviruses and, and, and causes occasional rare serious illness. I think that's the, the most likely outcome. But the other thing I would say, if you know, now COVID is really a very mild infection in children. So if you think about children getting COVID now, they're getting immunity to that infection while it's still a very mild infection. And then when they're older, they're going to be protected by that natural immunity. Of course, if they're vaccinated, they'd also have the vaccinated history. So if we think about 10, 20 years time, 
if the only vulnerable people to COVID are the, the younger children, maybe it will circulate as a common cold in children. Other age groups will be protected because of their vaccination history or their infection history. And so the virus doesn't necessarily need to attenuate as long as it's only mild in children and other age groups have their immunity it won't have as much health impact anymore and i have a feeling that some of the other common cold viruses may be like that that you have so many infections in children when children have strong immunity and can fight it off and, and keep it to a mild mild disease that if we were infected for the first time in our lives with a common cold it might be nasty but we're not because we've had it as children and we, we've had repeated exposure over the course of our lives so you know if we were able to find a, an isolated community that had never had common colds, maybe we discover that actually some of the common cold viruses that we know of as very mild actually could be more severe. You know, there could be other COVIDs around there that are, we just don't worry about because they're, they're now common colds because they're childhood diseases. So that, that's my prediction or expectation for COVID as well, that it will become a common cold. Maybe the virus will change a bit, maybe it will attenuate, but, but in any case, it, it's not going to pose a major threat in 10, 20 years from now. But I think it will still be with us. And we all still have our T-cells to help us, of course. Yeah, That's a whole sure. other story. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you yet again, Ben. That's, uh, we're, leaving, we're both leaving on an optimistic note today. The vaccines are here and um, hopefully we'll catch up in yeah. another month or so. Great. Good. Happy to talk. Thank you to everyone who registered for our COVID-19 vaccine database. If you would like to be included in this vaccine database, please register your interest via our website. If you like this episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.